Good morning. Uh, welcome. This is the last week in our Roman series. How good is that? We've come to the end of our week. Uh, for those of you that have been uh, doing your soap journals through Romans, congratulations. Well done. We've got one week left to go. I did find this one uh, lying on the floor. Someone has filled it in. They've filled in this week's, and as we know, soap. We start with scripture, observation, application, and prayer. For scripture, they've just written Romans 16, 16. And in application, yes, please. For those of you that haven't read through this week's chapter yet, Romans 16, 16 says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, I'm not saying this is in our executive pastor Matt's handwriting. But I'm also not not saying that it isn't in his handwriting. So I have this one here, if it's yours. And I'll let you work out the application for Romans 16, 16 and get back to me this week. But no, it is. It, look, Romans 16, 16, it's, it's a pivotal verse as all verses found in the scriptures are. And the verse has something to contribute to who we are as a church and contribute to, to Rome, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. In fact, when you read through chapter 16, it starts off and there's a whole list of amazing names that are Greek and hard to pronounce. But Paul calls out 26 people specifically. And he says of these people the amazing things that they do within the church. Now, here's the thing. Only a few of those people we ever hear of in different parts of Scripture. Most of them, this is the first and only time they get mentioned. And Paul calls them out for the amazing work that they've done. He calls out specifically some amazing women and acknowledges that they are very hardworking. Does not say that about the men that he calls out. Thanks, Paul. But each of those people, and when we read through these names, we see a list of names that are, that are commonly known as, as names of people that were in slavery. We see people alluded to that were in high powers of authority. We see the names of Greeks. We see the names of Jews. We see the names of men. We see the names of women. And what we see is that Paul's acknowledging this amazingly complex structure of the church in Rome. People that are slaves, people that are free. Men, women, people of power and authority, people from different cultural backgrounds. And this melting pot, and he acknowledges them and goes, this is the church. And you know, this morning, that's something we have to hold to. This is the church. We are an amazing, complex organization, an organism, if you will. We are people from all walks of life, people that seemingly have it together, people that definitely don't have it together. <laughs> we are people that, that come from different walks, different backgrounds, different cultures. And this is the melting pot of the church. And this is the letter that Paul writes to that church in Rome. And it's something that we see echoed in who we are here at the lakes today. So we're going to uh, read from Romans 16. In fact, we're going to jump right to the end is what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to focus on, on these last three verses that Paul writes. In fact, when we read through, you see that, that Paul acknowledges that his scribe wrote most of this letter as he dictated to his scribe. But then we get to this end, this benediction, at this doxology at the end. And it's where Paul picks up the pen himself and writes these last three verses. It says in Romans 16, verse 25 to 27, it begins, Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong. Just as my gospel says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you, Gentiles, 
a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too may believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And this is it, the end of Romans. In fact, it's, it's kind of funny because Paul ends this the way that, that some preachers like to end their sermons. You know, when the preacher finishes his sermon and then he begins the prayer at the end and then packs another sermon into the prayer at the end where he starts off, dear Lord Jesus. And then as he begins another three point sermon within that prayer, the band just slowly walks way slower to the stage. The people that are taking notes get all excited. <gasps> New notepad. This is what Paul does in this, in this last bit. He takes a breath and he goes, look, I'm just going to rehash everything that's in this. We're going to pack it all into one nice, concise statement. And he begins that and he says, he begins with the words, now all glory to God who is able. I'm just going to stop there for two seconds because every time I type the words is able into my computer, Grammarly and Microsoft Word had a bit of a conniption. They didn't like those words is able. In fact, it constantly came up and said, well, Conciseness, more concise language would be clearer for your reader. How about you use the word can? And now, if I had written that, I agree. It would have been more concise and it would have read, Now all glory to God who can make you strong. Now, while I don't disagree it's easier to read, it would not be clearer. Now, this is going to get a little bit Bible nerdy on you, on you for a second, so stay with me if you will. But there's a very good reason why we translate it to is Able. See, the Greek word here that they use is dunamai, which is often translated into English as the word dynamic, which is also part of the linguistic root word for dynamite. When we say God is able, and we look at that word dynamite, it's kind of good because I don't know about you, but I have a whole lot of uh, hardness of heart sometimes around submitting to God around my, my ego, around my attitude, around the habits that I like to hide aside. But Paul uses these words, God is able. God is dynamically able. So when we read it, there's, there's, there's a real tension on that word, is able. There is intention behind it. It's not God is able, it's God is able. There is affirmation there. There is certainty and there is intention behind that point. And so this idea that God is able to establish you, he is able to solidly plant you, he is able to provide scaffolding around you through the things that we read, the things that we know through the Gospels in order to enable us to be stronger and to be more secure. God is able to strengthen the church. You know, the Roman church was this mix of traditional Old Testament law-following Jewish believers and these new Gentiles that had been grafted into the faith, many of them coming out of a place of, of slavery. These were Gentiles in, who used to worship pagan gods through things like prostitution, and Paul wanted them to remember that God was able to strengthen them as well. God is able to strengthen us as a church as well. God is able to strengthen individual Christians. Now, I don't know about you. I, I know some of our stories. I know that through times in our lives that we've experienced weakness. Maybe that's happening to you right now. Maybe it's a, a sickness of health. Maybe you've lost a loved one. 
Maybe you're under extreme stress at work. If you're feeling strong at the moment, how much would it take to destroy that strength? Like, I, I hate to be like pessimistic. But I know there have been amazing times in my life where things have been going really, really well and sometimes it does not take much to change where I'm at. Sometimes we have to face horrific truths. What if something happens to a beloved grandchild? What if our spouse turns? What if we lose our jobs? See, in all these things, and I know that's a, a massive, that's, that's not great, Jaira. We started off so happy. Where did we go wrong? But in all of these things, in everything through all of this, this tells us that God is able to establish us so firmly that no matter what happens, we can still stand and stand strong. And how do we do that? Well, he answers us in that same verse. God is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. This means that God is able to strengthen you down and against the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul explains this good news. We're going to get ducked back a few weeks to where we picked up in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. I want to read that to you right now. It says, and we covered this a while ago, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Shedding his blood, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Huge passage of scripture. Massive implications. But a piece of scripture that gives us hope. It gives us something to hold. It gives us something to cling to. God justifies, makes innocent, redeems, plucks us out of sin and death, and appeases, removes his wrath from those who trust and follow Jesus. And I think, like, like it's interesting, I look at my own journey, the journey of people that I've, I've walked with, whether they be peers or, or people within the church or people that have led me. And I, I think so often we, we get to this place where we think that the gospel is the doorway into Christianity, if you will. But, but it's not. It's not merely the doorway into Christianity. The gospel is the mansion itself, if you will. A believer doesn't get to the gospel and then move beyond it. They get to the gospel and then move into it. And this is the way that God strengthens his people. You know, it's like, I remember when I built, um, some of you would have been there and done these things, but I built a cubby house for my children. Anyone, anyone build a cubby house for their kids? Anyone regret that decision about six minutes in? When I saw the Bunnings invoice, there was much regret. Also, when, uh, when my brother came and helped me and we uh, started using large, uh, loud power tools at six o'clock in the morning, the neighbours regretted my decision as well. 
But when I made the cubby house for my kids, it was this wonderful fort structure and it was, it was huge. And it was good fun and it was great and I had great visions for it. And it had slides and swings and a rock wall and all this sort of stuff. But when we made it, we knew that we probably weren't going to be in this house forever. In fact, we knew we'd probably have to move from this house in a few years. So I made this amazing decision not to cement it into the ground. Look, the posts went down a fair way, but we chose not to cement it. I also didn't brace it at the back, which I didn't know about till afterwards. But that's not the point. So I built this amazing cubby house and it was great until like I got in it and it wobbled a little bit, but still sound, just a bit wobbly. It was like a ride. And so I built this cubby house and and the cubby house looked solid and it looked strong and it never fell down, just for the record. And I looked at it and I went, this is awesome. Now let's attach the swing set. So we had the swing, the swing came out on a pole and there was another post in the ground. And when I attached the swing to the cubby house, funnily enough, also wobbly. Which made it fun when you swang. Because you swung and you wobbled at the same time. And, and if, I, like, just hypothetically, if someone about, well, this size got on the swing, well, then the whole thing moved. And everything that I attached to the main cubby house tended to wobble and shake. Now, here's the thing. This is what God is trying to avoid by establishing us in the gospel. See, when he sinks us deep into the gospel, it's like sinking a post into the ground and then cementing it. And then we provide reinforcement and structure around that post. We provide a scaffolding that stops it from wobbling and shaking. The gospel doesn't move. And so those who are firmly planted in the gospel don't move either. Often when we ask God to strengthen us, what we're really wanting and asking for is to God, for God to strengthen the movable object that we're clinging to. There are times in my life where I've been praying, God, please, this situation doesn't work. Please change this thing in my life. And more often when I talk to someone smarter and wiser than me, usually my wife, we come back and realize that this thing that we're trying to change is a wobbly thing that's not found in what God would actually have for us. We ask God to change our things like health, relationships, plans, and all these things, but these things will probably move, and these things are temporary. This may be why it seems like God hasn't answered some of our prayers. God loves us too much to bolt us to such flimsy things. Instead, God takes us. And Paul answers this in what he writes next. He says, according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. God is able to strengthen you against the preaching of Jesus Christ. While the world proclaims false strength and false saviors, we look to Jesus Christ. We look to the gospel of who he is. And we look to the truth that we find in scripture. And in that we find strength. In that we find stability. And in that we find we brace ourselves to something greater than us. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God with us. 
Jesus was born miraculously of a virgin. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament messianic prophecies. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus arose from the grave, conquering Satan's sin and death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only path to the Father. All statements that we have come across in the last 16 chapters of Romans. If you are someone who's feeling wobbly and weak, if you're feeling insecure about where you've built your foundations in the shifting sands, and we always find, we find at times in our lives we do this, we build them on the shifting sands of leisure, distraction, family, health. Even in our, our church work, our morality, or anything other than Jesus Christ, know this truth this morning, that Jesus is able to take you and stabilize you through what he's written. Through, through and according to the gospel. But this is, this is the interesting thing in, in this. Paul didn't write the gospel. If you go back and look at your Bibles, he wrote my gospel in verse 25. Now, all glory to God who is able to make you strong, just as my gospel says. Kind of weird for a moment. I was a little bit taken back. I went, that's a bit strange. Was there a typo? Am I the first person to find it? No, as it turns out. See, Paul explained the gospel so thoroughly through Romans that he feels that it is his gospel. God promised it in the Old Testament. Paul just stops for a moment to try and bring praise and bring glory to God for this amazing gospel that he has taken on, that he identifies with, that he holds to his truth, and that he preaches time and time again. You know, this is, this is what I love about the book of Romans. The gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the events of the gospel, specifically the cross episodes, the process of the gospel. They account for the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and, and his ministry that he did in that time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us the events as they happen and what it was. These were the process of the gospel. The God was taking the sin of the world and placing it and redeeming us through his son. In the Gospels, we read about the accounts that take place. Jesus was denied. He was betrayed. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was placed on the cross. He died for six hours. He surrendered himself. And three days later, rose from the dead and conquered death. And we see these events in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in John. And then in Romans. In Romans, Paul logically explains and theologically explains what was happening when Jesus did all of these things. When he was accomplishing all that Paul explains what was needed for us. Romans tells us why we need the gospel. God's provision and scope and the distance that the gospel goes to over our lives. Paul talks about the reasons why we stumble over the gospel. Paul talks about the reasons we have issues with it. And the last section of the application of the gospel that Paul talks about, he talks about the application to our daily lives. You know, I've come to a realization over time, and it's taken me a long time to realize something that might be extremely simple. But one of that, part of that realization is that there is a difference between the gospel and my gospel. There is a difference between knowing that Jesus makes sinners innocent and knowing that Jesus made me innocent. 
There is a difference between acknowledging that Jesus redeems us and receiving that redemption for myself. It's one thing to know the theory behind it. It's another thing to accept it for yourself. It's another thing to walk in it. This is the difference between the gospel and what Paul writes as my gospel. A gospel that he lived and died for. A gospel that he applied to his whole being. A gospel that he tried to live out daily. Not always perfectly. Not always easily. But always with intention. And I think when I read through what Paul writes, I have to ask the question, do I own it like Paul did? Because gospel ownership is strength. Gospel ownership is strength. When we move on, the next words, announce to him the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the Paul prayer Paul prays. Good grief, those three words are hard in a row. That is the prayer Paul prays at the end of these verses. And I think this is a prayer for all people at all times to realize and live in the light of God's worth, value, and weight. This is a prayer against taking God lightly as a side order or item or a vague reality humming in the distant background of our lives. It's a prayer that all people would see what Paul saw when he wrote. For, for from him and through him and to him are all things. We read that in Romans eleven thirty six. You know, I mean, uh, the, one of the questions that, that I ask is, what is the pipeline for this sort of glorification? Through Jesus Christ. See, through Jesus Christ, God is glorified when we trust and follow Jesus Christ. There is no other way of glorifying God except through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we submit to the gospel, when we take on the gospel, when we live out the gospel, when we apply the gospel, when it becomes my gospel, as opposed to the gospel, we glorify God as he sees his people. Glorify him. God's glory is the goal of the gospel. You know, it's, 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 uh, <laughs> I love this analogy. In Monopoly, a get-out-of-jail-free card isn't great because it gets you out of jail. A get-out-of-jail-free card is great because it gets you back in the game. You cannot win Monopoly if you spend the whole time in jail. I mean, strategically, you can if it's like the last two rounds. Jail's a great place to be. <laughs> but you can't win the game if you spend the whole time in jail. It doesn't work that way. A get-out-of-jail-free card is great because it puts you back in the game and gets you playing again. Uh, a very famous man, some of you may have heard of him, John Piper, preached while illustrating this point, when a husband wants his wife to forgive him, what does he really want? Not just forgiveness, he wants his wife back. You know, all the forgiveness we receive through Jesus is amazing and awesome. But it's not the best part of the gospel. The best part of the gospel is that we get God himself, the glorious one. So, in the words of Paul, to God be the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. May all glory, value, and worth be ascribed to God. 
the very author and perfecter of our faith. You know, through Romans, we've read phenomenal stuff. Chapter 1 explains the mess we were in and why we needed to be saved and how only God could do it. Chapter 2 unpacks why religion itself can't save us. Religion neither removes the stain of our sin nor repairs sin's damage on our hearts. And we have to conclude with Paul in chapter 3 that there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God alone. All have fallen short of the glory of God, we read. Yet there is good news for us that we find. For in chapter 4, we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works that they do. Romans 5 and 6, we're our glorious reminder that since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 7 described our ongoing battle with flesh and sin. You know, I, I love chapter 7. I found that so challenging. Paul, with Paul, we're frustrated that even though our minds know what we should do, our flesh just doesn't do it. We're upset along with Paul that there is nothing good in our flesh and echo with him, who shall deliver me from this body of death? But with Paul we answer, I thank God because through Jesus our Lord, this gift given to me. And we receive with him and I celebrate with him in Romans 8, this great amazing chapter that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. We find hope. We find promise in chapter 8. Romans 9, 10, 11 show us that we can keep that trust. Uh, we can trust that God will keep his promises to us. Romans 12 is, is almost the hinge of the entire book of Romans, showing us that those who believe the gospel will inevitably come like the gospel. Those who have been greatly loved will in turn show great love. Chapter 13 explains our hope in God's eternal kingdom. Chapter 14 expresses the motto of all believers. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 15 shows us that we each have a role to play in God's kingdom. And chapter 16 simply illustrates that by celebrating the beauty of the body of Christ, in it we see God who glorifies himself by putting our love for each other on display and using us greatly in the world. So as we come to the end of this letter, as we come to the end of what Paul has written to the church in Rome, as we come to the end of our our weeks of study in this, what Paul says at the end, I feel, is something that we should all be able to echo. That anybody who calls God Father should want to echo with him. As As he writes those words in 25, Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong, just as my gospel says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan that kept, was kept secret from the beginning of time. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So as the book comes to a close... There's always a question that sits over it at the end. And I think that question is, do you truly know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? 
It's a similar question to, is it the gospel or is it my gospel? Do I know Jesus as an abstract thought expression as, as a person where words are written on a page and a story about their life? Or do I know Jesus, the person, and have an enduring relationship with him? Have I experienced the saving power of the gospel in my life? In those times of struggle, in those times of strain, in those times where I have felt less than, in those times where I have felt weak, have I known that I could turn to Jesus? Have I built my life on on things that make me wobbly? Or am I cemented? into the foundation of the gospel message. That despite who I am, Christ loved me enough. He loved me enough. He loved you enough. Despite our failings, despite our flaws, despite those times that we seem to be on a great trajectory and then fall away. In those times that we put so much of our strength in the things of this world, in in our relationships that, that inevitably don't always hold us strong. In our jobs, in our careers. This whole book screams that the reason He came is that we were so desperately lost without Him and He came because He loved us so much that He chose to give us something greater than what we had. A pathway forward. But to receive him, we have to surrender and accept him for yourself. You know, you don't have to understand everything in the Bible. You don't have to understand everything in this book of Romans. In fact, you know, as a a bit of a side note, at the end of 2 Peter, Peter himself writes, Paul wrote some amazing stuff. I don't fully understand it. Peter writes that in 2 Peter verse 15 and 16. But you have to understand that if, but if you understand that I am lost and desperate without Jesus, yet he loves me and offered himself to me. And that is enough to say this to That is enough. That is a starting place that we can all work from. We're, um, we're going to finish up. And, and I think it's a good time to reflect on what we've done over these last weeks. I think it's a good time to just take a moment. We're going to sing a song, and as we do, let me encourage you to just take take a minute to reflect. This song has powerful words behind it that reflect who we are as a people of God. And we come to God in a place on our knees often, in prayer, coming to a Father who loves us so much. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord God, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for the cross. Lord, I thank you for these words that are written in Scripture. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we can hold to because of it. Father God, I thank you that when we come to you in a place of prayer, you hear the prayers of your people. And Lord, this morning, just as we take a moment to reflect, Lord, may we truly be people that, that, that seek out the gospel of Christ. That it becomes my gospel, not just the gospel.